The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and Dr. Doreen Grand is here with us. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, and we're, we're live right now. Uh, I should say that it is Tuesday, December 13th, and Dr. Grand is live right now because I know many of you watching, you want to know when we're live as opposed to reruns, but we're live, 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 live right now. In fact, we're saying good morning to Liliana and to Renee and Elvira. Uh, so thrilled that you guys are here with us. So, Dr. Grampichet, good morning. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here. Well, it's lovely to be here with you. And if, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Grampichet is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 40 years. It just, that, that, like, it doesn't make <laughs> sense. It's never made sense to me. And every time it gets a little bit more, it makes less sense to me. But uh, she's been working in the field for more than 40, I said four zero years, mm-hmm. working with all kinds of individuals on the autism spectrum from very young babies up through senior citizens and everything in between at all different levels. I find her absolutely remarkable and somewhat of a unicorn in that while she is a, a behaviorist, you know, uh, you are a PhD, BCBAD. Right. Did I get all the letters in there? Um, but she also, uh, and I think sort of it makes great sense to me, but I think it is you are a unicorn that you're a humanitarian. Well, thank you. In that you're always doing perspective taking about what it is like for the individuals on the spectrum. Right. What it is like for the people who love them around them and supporting all of them. 
you have been a, for years, way before it was the popular thing, been at the forefront of saying, if you're going to work with someone on the spectrum, it has to be worthwhile for them. My favorite phrase that you say is it has to be fair. Fair, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, you know, resonates so deeply with me as a parent. Um, course, and I obviously, course. you know, you guys know if you watch the show, know that my son is doing remarkably well and that I credit Dr. Grampichet and her knowledge and what you taught to the people who worked with him on a day-to-day basis is the reason why my son is doing so well. well. So I'm her biggest fan. I know some of you are right there with me, like shoulder <laughs> to shoulder with that. Um, but I, nobody loves her more than I do. Uh, you know, obviously your husband and your kids. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll concede to them. Thank you. But We uh, hope. We hope. <laughs> They, I know all of them and they do. But uh, we're saying good morning to Susie B. And we're looking forward to seeing you later on today. And uh, we're thrilled that you guys are here with us live. We are live. We're taking your questions live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. Traven's going to show those on the screen to you. He's been showing them to you. I want to remind all of you that um, we love it when you subscribe. And there are different ways of subscribing. If you're on the autism-live site, which is still very functional, there is a place there to subscribe to a mailing list. The easier one, the better one, the faster one is when you are on autismnetwork.com. There is a sick, after you're on for about six seconds, a pop-up pops up and you either have to exit or, you know, or you decide that you're going to subscribe. That instantly goes onto the mailing list. The other one I have to do by hand. Oh, I see. <laughs> so then you're see, then you're yeah. having to deal with how slow I am. But um, then we've started the newsletters again. We had suspended those during the pandemic, but we've started the newsletters again. And I'm really proud of the fact that when you open our newsletters, you get coupons, codes for right. uh, money off of some really amazing toys. I'm in love with this Mosey thing, you guys. Um, <laughs> Because, look, you know, you sit and hold hands with your kid, and then you pass this back and forth. Oh, how cool. Let's I, do that. I am, like, ridiculously fond of this. Ooh, Isn't that, that fun? And that then, is fun. Yeah, it's better if you're closer to each other, that and then you can cool. manipulate it a little more. But so fun, and you can play all kinds of games with this because it pops up into a ball, oh, and you can wow. do all kinds of things with it. Uh, Traven and I had such a good time with this the other day, and he was saying, I don't know how to get it back to the thing. And I said, there's this moment when you think it'll never, oh, Come no, back. it's like the slinky gone awry, and it'll yeah. never go back. And I said, you know, you stick your finger in, and there's always a moment where you go, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, and then it snaps. <laughs> that, That's to awesome. me, is sort of fascinating. But anyway... Um, so uh, I don't know how I got off. And what on, is this called? Uh, that's called the mosey. Okay, great. And it's it's they say you just mosey along with it. I'm gonna need one for my. I know that's kids, why that's kids why that I got I'm it seeing. out. Uh, that's yeah, why I got it out. Uh, and I have many other toys. Uh, speaking of which, you guys, if you haven't already, if you're interested in toys, and and you should get the newsletter because there it was. There's a 5% off code for oh, this perfect. right now. Yeah. Uh, and anything else that Fun in Motion Toys does. There was also a 5% code off of the um, uh, Smart Felt Toys, too, which are great for developing speech. Yeah. So uh, all of those things are part and parcel of our toy guide, which is available right now on the website. If you go to autismnetwork.com, click on the toy guide. If you hold down on that... Two things will happen. If you if you hold down for a while, it'll take you directly to a site where you can choose all the age ranges, 
or it, there's a drop down menu if you want to just you know that you're looking for something for a baby then you can just click on the baby and go there i always like to say to people start with the age of the the individual but then look in every other category because yeah. you know what category this is in it's in the caregiver category oh interesting because i put it in um for the ca- the caregiver sensory because it's a way for a caregiver to make a connection with, with the their child. child. But this could be in the school age category. It, it could be teen, yeah. tween, yeah. adult. Yeah. So there's lots of toys like that that would fit in other categories. So do look around. Um, and don't forget that this Sunday is our 10th annual Sensitive Santa event. Oh, my event. gosh. I know. That I, came up fast. I know. It's it's really my favorite day of the year, you guys. And we're working so hard here to get everything ready. For those of you who have already registered, we've got you. And we're so excited about you coming. We hope that you, you arrive on time. It's at the Ed Asner Family Center. And it is a drive-through. Yeah. Um, but you do have the choice this year to get out of your car and take a quick picture with Santa Claus that's oh, nice. socially distanced. Nice. And next year, maybe we can do just in person. I, well, that's what we're hoping for. That'd be I lovely, mean, yeah. but we're still an abundance of caution. But if you have not gotten your tickets, we're almost sold out, you guys. But there are a few more tickets in a, in a couple of different time ranges. You want to go to Eventbrite and go to Sensitive Santa Event 2022. And you will find us and then you can register. The tickets are free, but you cannot come without a ticket because we have to know who's coming of course. for toys and, and so on and so busy, forth. it gets busy, yeah. It gets very busy. The elves are hard at work. They are. Uh, yeah, and I wish the cameras could see all the elves working over here. Yeah. You know, Turvin <laughs> showed the, the, he had a camera set up the other day so that it would show. And I said, you showed the mess. Our, and he, our, he, uh, our studio and our offices are just packed with toys Oh, right it now. looks like Santa has exploded. Yeah. But, but I love that. Hello, Dark Angel. And hello, Our Journey, Cameron's New Life. We're so glad that you're all here this morning. So the topic, the starting topic this morning is tantrums, which I know everybody is, you know, pretty uh, common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And our first question this morning is help. How do I deal with my son's tantrums? I feel like no matter what I do, it's wrong in someone's eyes. Mm -hmm. I'm terrified to go out anymore because I'm afraid he will have a tantrum and I won't be able to know what to do. Yeah. Which I think is a lot of how we've all felt. I felt that way on a certain day. Yeah. Yeah. And I often, you know, right now I'm trying to write some stuff about how to deal with challenging behaviors. And I don't know, for parents, and I love the feedback and the opportunity actually right now to ask a lot of parents, I don't know if it's, you know, on the one hand, I think a lot of parents just want to know right away, like, if I have a tantrum, the tantrum, how do I deal with that? Yeah. On the other hand, I know a lot of parents just in general want to know, like, what is the basis of of dealing with all challenging behaviors, yes. right? And yes. I don't know which one is easier to explain. It's the same thing. Yeah. But So I'll try to kind of give a little bit of a general answer, which might help, will help with not just tantrums, but might help also with, in general, any behavior that is challenging, any behavior, period, right? So it starts with the idea of everything we do has a purpose, So when our child tantrums, it's our job to try to figure out what the purpose is. And in ABA lingo, we call that the function. And it doesn't mean anything other than the purpose, the reason. Why is the child doing that? And often uh, when we do something, it's the purpose of it is because we're trying to communicate something, right? So... 
I might, you might have that toy, and I might want that toy. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to get that toy, I might hit you, I might grab it, I might run up to mom and cry, I might, I'll, whatever behavior I have, all of those behaviors are not acceptable, really, except for me asking you nicely and waiting for you to share it. So there's always an appropriate way to get what we want and then a whole bunch of not acceptable ways, right? And that's true of everyone. It's not just our kids. It's true of us, right? If we want, let's say, more attention from our spouse, we might do a bunch of non-adaptive things, you know, like, I don't know, throw a fit at home, demand their time, be rude, but whatever, or we might ask in a very good adaptive fashion. So our job is to figure out when our kids do a certain behavior, why are they doing it? And, and I always like to use the, the easier way for parents, I think, is to say if they had really good language and they had already learned this, how, what would they be communicating instead of throwing the tantrum? What would they be saying? And it is always going to be some expression of something they want or don't want. That's always the case, believe me. So it's always going to be, I want some object, I want some activity, I want some food, I want uh, your attention, I want what he has, I want something. I want to go to the bathroom. I want to go to the bathroom. I want medication because I have pain. Whatever I want a break. I want a break. That's very which I want a break starts us into the category of stuff I don't want, which is I don't want to work anymore. Right. I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to have to answer your question. I don't want to pay attention. I don't want to stop self-stimulating. I don't want it. so it's always something I want or I don't want. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the hard part is not dealing with the tantrum. The hard part is figuring out what is it they're trying to communicate. Yeah. That's the hard part. Getting that function right is so, so, so vital. And that's what all of ABA is about. With ABA, you figure out what it is they want or don't want, and then you teach them to use a more adaptive, functional, appropriate way of requesting that thing. And you do not allow the non-adaptive, challenging way to win. It's, it's really that simple. So when your child tantrums, whatever you figure out, first of all, what, what they want. And by the way, every tantrum is going to be a different thing. So there, the, the thing about it is that when our kids tantrum and they get, in one scenario, they get what they want. So for instance... You try to get your child to hurry up and get ready and it's time to go out and they have a tantrum and by tantruming, the going, getting ready and going out is delayed, mm -hmm. right? So they get out of, so they get to avoid. So if they could talk, they would have said, I don't want to go out. I, don't, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And so they, by tantruming, they've accomplished that. Now, in their system, in their mind, that tantrum becomes a powerful communicator, so now they've learned, oh, I'm going from now on when I don't want something, I will tantrum. Yeah. And it's going to work. So be careful because every single time that your child tantrums, it could have a different function. 
So they could be wanting to not go out. They could be wanting to continue playing with this toy. They could, they could tantrum because they're trying to get your attention because you haven't been attending to them. They could tantrum because they don't want to go to school, whatever it is, right? Once you've figured out that function, now the key part of it is to not allow them to receive that thing when they tantrum, but to allow them to receive that thing that they wanted when they ask in a more appropriate way. And so that means if I'm tantruming because I don't want to go to school, sorry, I'm going to get you ready and take you to school anyway. But if you say, mom, I really don't want to go to school today, then I will probably maybe give you a break or maybe go with you or do, I will respond to what it is that you really want if yeah. you ask for it nicely. So I'm going to now take that down to the level of, let's say, a child who's not able to communicate really well, right? So let's say a young child, a three-year-old, can't really say, I want that toy you have right now. So they're hitting you to grab that toy or they're having a tantrum because they couldn't have that toy. Now it's for us, what we do as behaviorists is if they're tantruming and we know it's because they want that toy, we do not give the toy when the child is tantruming. Instead, we will prompt the child to say toy or to point to the picture of a toy or even for non-vocal children to somehow indicate in a more appropriate way that that's what they want. And whenever they do the more appropriate behavior, they get a lot of kudos, they get the toy, they get a break, they get all kinds of goodies. And whenever they communicate in a non-appropriate way or in a challenging way, they do not get what it is they were asking for. And that applies to pretty much everything. Yeah. I want a break. If they ask for just a break, if they point to a uh, icon of a break, any any appropriate way of of asking for a break, they get a break. But if they're tantruming and throwing a fit and all that sort of stuff, no, you continue to work through it. You just continue to work until the tantrum subsides and the child says break, and then you can give them a break. So that's how you deal with tantrums. Now, in this particular case, I think the parents said, whenever we go out, yeah, right? Yeah. And so you have to figure out what it is about going out. It, it could be so many different things. It could be the place you're going, that the child doesn't want to go to that place, which, by the way, it's not like you always will have to avoid that place. It's just that you need to better prepare your child for going to that place. It could be they don't want to go in the car, they don't like the car. It could be they don't want to get ready. It could be they don't want to give up what it is they're giving up in order to go out. It's, it could be a million different things, but you have to figure that out. Without figuring that out, you're not going to know what it is. It could also be that they're fine until you get to the place. So it's not really about going out. It's about something in that place. So it could be overwhelming because it's too noisy it's too stimulating, and there's too many people, there's lights and sounds. You think about what it is. That's the key to figuring out how to deal with it. And all of that is such good information, but I think Renee and Elvira has really hit on the thing here. They say, during tantrums slash meltdowns, yes. I get so emotional yes. and overwhelmed and freeze. Calming myself first is a big thing for yeah. me. And I think yeah. that's for a lot of us. That's for all of us. That's for all of us. Let me tell you, I always make fun of this because, you know, I've like been doing ABA and some form of behavioral psychology my whole life, pretty yes. much. 
on and it was pretty easy with my first child and my second child all of this worked right, right. with my third child there was nothing on earth that I could do to get this child sometimes to calm down, go to sleep, whatever it is. And right. believe me, as a behaviorist who's been practicing and writing about this stuff forever, I would sit outside her room crying because I'd be like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? And so this is a very, very normal thing, which is why it's helpful to have, if you have access to a BCBA, a board-certified behavior analyst, or someone with that level of experience and knowledge, to sit down with you and say, I know you're, you are emotional right now, but the reason he's doing this is this. And there's a lot of ways that BCBAs, we figure out what that function or purpose is. Yeah. Because you, we change the scenario multiple times and we realize, oh, Every time we're going to Chuck E. Cheese, he has a meltdown. So it's got to be something with Chuck E. Cheese. We narrow it down and we figure out the appropriate purpose. I, you know, I don't want to say something that's, you know, blanket, but I think there have been a lot of studies suggesting that parents of special needs kids have PTSD. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. and I, I feel that a lot of us do. And, I, you know, for me... Jem had a lot of tantrums, but the one, the mother of all tantrums that I remember the most was when we were at a McDonald's. Yeah. And it was one of those ones that had the play structure thing. Yeah. And I took him there and, and, and he was going to get to be there for quite a while. It wasn't like he only got to be there for 15 minutes, but it was one of those that I would be so anxious the whole time yeah. because he would be up in the tubes and you have no control. Yeah. Once they're up in the tubes. And because you know, know, like you're gonna go in there after them, you right? Can't. My yeah, fat took us in the, you know, I could just like, yeah. like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get <laughs> stuck in there. They're gonna have to call the paramedics, and you know, my kid is gonna. But but you know, you worry about because I mean, kids will bite other kids up there. Yeah. You worry, is your child gonna yeah. do something to another child, or is another child gonna do something to you? And sometimes there's 100%. older kids up there, like everything under the sun. Right. And so I would sit there and be watching through the tubes the whole time and be at a heightened place yeah. myself anyway. And then I would try to give him the countdown and say, okay, we're leaving in five minutes, you know, and not. Um, but he got to a point where he understood that he was in control. Yeah. And that I, yeah. and I could say, you yeah. know, you've got 30 seconds to come down. And he, you know, he didn't have the ability to give me the finger, right. but he essentially did I mean, behaviorally. Exa- yeah. Right. And, and so eventually he came down. I don't know how I lured him down, but I said, we have to leave right now. And he threw the mother of all tantrums. I had to pick him up. He was clawing and biting yeah. and kicking and hitting. And I just remember going out the side door yeah. and the entire place was staring at us. And he was holding on to the door as I was trying to peel his right. fingers off as right. he's kicking me in the head. Uh, you know, I think I had him upside down carrying yeah. him to the car. And and I felt like two cents. Yeah. I felt like, okay, I traumatized my child. I'm a bad parent. Oh. Everybody in there thinks I'm a bad parent. I don't have control. I don't feel proficient. Yep. And then I do I wouldn't I the the terrible thing was that it was probably, you know, I don't know that I ever brought him back to a McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I think we went to other play structures, but I went Just with a therapist. That like a, scenario. Yeah, because I didn't. So I understand this parent saying, I don't want to go out because. I, I, totally. Um, totally. But I, but I will tell you that now, and I'm going to get emotional in my life. 
there came a point when I felt proficient enough. I mean, obviously now my son is just such a joy and a treat to be around. And I, it never crosses my mind to be concerned about his behavior. Sure. Not ever. Ever, of course. But, and it's been that way for years. But I remember a time when he was like, I don't know, 11 or 12, where I realized, oh, I'm no longer afraid that my child will have a tantrum. Yeah, yeah. And it was such a, I, yeah. a relief and a release, and I felt competent that if something happened, yeah. like I see that in you, yeah. that, you know, a child comes into your circle and, and I see competence and that you know you're going to be able to handle it no matter what. Right. But when you're in the thick of it, oh God, I know. It's so hard know. to know, I know. Will I ever be proficient enough that I feel confident with my child? And that's devastating to a parent it to is. feel. But Shannon, that's the, and believe me, I know this experience. Like, I do yes. know this experience. And that's where my, my, the sentence that I always say that you quote, which is, is it fair? Yeah. That's where that comes in. Because if the scenario is made fair for the child, not yeah. only will the child be more manageable and compliant, but you won't feel so much guilt about it. Yeah. The whole thing works when it's fair. And so a lot of times, like, we have to question our own rules, which yeah. is kind of like, you know, I... And we have so many of these rules. You think about it. Like, yeah. oh, I have to go to McDonald's because that's where people take their kids to yeah. play on the play structures. Yeah. That's not true. That is not true. For your child, that could necessarily, it's not necessarily the right place to go at that yeah. time. He's not prepared. Perhaps you have to do a bunch of preparation before you approach that. Yeah. There's so much stuff like that, you know? Like, so I think instead of, like uh, going there and having that kind of an experience where it becomes so traumatic, my recommendation is to really try to do this in steps, in very small steps where you can make sure that you go out to a location, get help, first of all, be prepared, read as much as you can about how to manage these types of behaviors. Always think in terms of your what is your child thinking right now? Like, and this is another thing. Any other child would also have a problem with leaving a, a preferred, any yeah. other child. But yeah. there's a difference. The difference is when you tell the other child, hey, we're going to come back tomorrow. Right. They have a concept of that. They have right. a concept of, oh, we're coming back at some future point. And they also have this desire to not make you too mad. Yeah. And our kids don't necessarily recognize, oh, what I'm doing right now is going to really upset my mom. And they also don't have the concept of time. Yeah. If there was a way where you could give your child a timer and that said, when this timer goes off, we'll be back here. I promise you every child has the capacity to wait. Yeah. They just don't, they think you're taking them away forever. Yeah. And also the other part of it is, they become hyper-stimulated to the point where yeah. they can't control themselves. They've now lost all control. Because and I was already in a state. And you're already in a state. Because I was worried the whole time. But I think that one of the things that really helped me that you guys did for me was that you gave me a job 
during the tantrum. Yeah. And and my you gave me things like like drop down menus to be thinking yeah. about okay, you know that the first thing when he would start to throw like first of all you gave me a job before. If I saw it begin to escalate or oh, there was so much control in that yeah. that I that I had things that you guys had given me that I could choose from to say that, like, you know, to ask myself the question, what is it I think is going on right here? Yeah. Is there anything extra going on? What do I think he wants? Is there a way that I can prompt him to ask for it appropriately? Right, right, right. Like all of these things that I could do when I can saw I it. Can I give it to him? Right. What will happen? Even the preparation of what will happen when this activity has to end? Right. How am I going to manage that? Right. Oh, exactly. And to have something to say, you know, not just say, okay, I need you to come down in five minutes, but to say, okay, we got five minutes and then we're going to go do and have that be a preferred activity right, right. so that he was willing to disengage that fair thing. But, but then if the tantrum, if we got to the tantrum and the tantrum happened, that then my job shifted, that the first thing I needed to do was make sure that he was safe, that I was safe, that all the stuff and the people around were safe. That gave me something to do. Yeah. And then to, to become like a court reporter. Yeah. To be thinking about emotion. how am I going to describe this to my team later on? Okay, the tantrum started at 11.15 <laughs> and the first thing that he did was he threw stuff and I have to tell you guys, that helped me to manage the anxiety. It yeah. helped me to feel capable. It helped me because I was doing, I was like, oh, the tantrum's already happening. I don't want to be giving it attention. So I have a job right now and I'm going to do it because that's going to help us to crack the code on why this is happening right, later right, on. Right, right, um, And that was super, you know, in, in a way it reminded me of an acting exercise that I remember being a young actor and saying, I don't understand like I can bring up tears to cry, but I don't understand how I'm safe yes. during that time. Yes. And an acting teacher taught me, you know, you're in a safe space here and all this other stuff is happening Outside. here. Yeah. And and that's what I started to do during the tantrums. I'm safe. He's safe. I made sure of that. Now I can be here and just notice what's happening. Yeah. And so that I can tell it to somebody later on. And that helped me to deal with the anxiety of it. But I always used to marvel. There's a video that you show sometimes when you speak. Uh, it's from America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh yeah, and it's I a, love that video, right? And um, but it's a kid who it's a baby. It's like a one year old. Yeah, and I love that video. It's just when I first saw it on America's Funniest Home Videos, I was like, oh my god, I well, have to describe record it this. for them. But then I, I want to tell you what it made me feel. It. Yeah, show. So tell. it's a baby. It's in diapers. It's like yeah. a one-year-old who's just, it's a toddler who's just basically walking. And um, I guess mom or dad is recording this toddler and they um, want something or whatever and they throw themselves on the floor and they start screaming and crying. And the person who has the cameras, the parent, walks to another room and then you see the baby, the toddler, looking, stopping, getting up and going to the room where the parent on the video is right. and then throwing themselves again on the floor and starting the tantrum again. And the parent does this four times. They go to another room and the toddler stops, goes, follows them four times. So it is such a great example of I am only doing this for your pleasure, for, for your you attention. to see that I need something. Yeah. Yes. 
But I think what's interesting about it is that when the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh. Because you can hear the parent laughing as yeah. they're videotaping. Yeah. And I thought, this is the difference between parents of, of kids with autism and neurotypical parents. Because that parent knows this is not going to be the rest of the li their life. That's true, That too. parent knows this is a tantrum and this is just a phase that they're going through and it's not going to be the rest of our lives. This yeah. is why, yeah. and whenever I talk to parents yeah. on the spectrum, I say videotape a lot, even when you don't yeah. want to, because you're going to need to go back and look at what you got through. But we don't want to because yeah. we think it's the rest of our lives. Well, we literally stand yeah. there in that moment and yeah. think this is never going to end. That's so true. And I hadn't thought about that. That's something new that you just taught me. Really? Absolutely. But the other side of it, I think, Shannon, is also there's a lot of embarrassment yes. with parents of special needs kids because they feel being judged. They feel like oh, others yeah. are judging me at this moment. And I our kids. That and they're going to judge our kids. That's right. We are being looked down upon. Yes. And we need to stop this. The amount of stuff that goes on in this minute, just the emotions, your emotions, oh, the child. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, which is why... Often when you say, like, you know, they taught me a step-by-step -step guide, yeah. it's so important to try to not really judge yourself at that moment, yeah. right? Or your child. But remember that this is behavior, and behavior occurs in all of us in the same way. It's not about autism at all, and I want to keep repeating that. A lot of times people think tantrums, challenging behavior, blah, 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 all any challenging behavior has nothing to do with the diagnosis of autism. This is so important. It is not one of the symptoms of autism. It is a side effect of not being able to communicate. Now, that's super important because a lot of times when our kids are diagnosed, people will say, oh, that explains why he has so many tantrums. And then it becomes an acceptable part of autism. Yeah. It's not. It's no. not one of the symptoms of autism. It is just like any other communication disability yeah. where if you can't communicate, you will tantrum because challenging behaviors are a form of communication. They're a form of I can't tell you otherwise what's going on with me, so I'm going to tantrum, which yeah. is why, by the way, typically developing kids, they tantrum as well when they're young. As time goes on, language replaces that. And that's, that's really the key to it. That is so critical for us to remember because it's, it's not, you're not a bad parent, yeah. right? This child did not come out of the womb with an instruction manual. Exactly. Sorry, I wish exactly. it did, but it, they didn't. Yeah. Um, and there are techniques that you can learn that will empower you. Um, but the I, I, I really have an allergic reaction when I'm someplace with older um, children on the spectrum that are like 14, 15 years old, and be, they're behaving like really inappropriately. And the parents just go, that's autism. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I have an allergic reaction to that. Yeah, that's yeah. not the ticket. But let's get to some of these questions that people have written in. Parker says, here's a question I want to ask. It's not for me, but I'm curious about it. And I love this question, Parker. For example, a kid's special interest is Paw Patrol. Mm -hmm. And it's all over the Christmas list. And the therapist or another person says he needs a new age-appropriate interest and there was no Paw, Paw Patrol under the tree. I heard about a similar story with Shannon. It was actually Nancy that went through that with Thomas the Tank. Uh, I would like to hear that story and how to handle a situation like that. I'm asking out of curiosity and helping other people. Yeah. So I always talk about there's, you know, 
there are lots of decisions we have to make when we're working with our kids. One decision is, do I want to have, do, do I want to give my, the child in this particular instance something of significant interest, that means a powerful reinforcer, or do I want them to have something age-appropriate? And, and there's a good reason behind both of those. So do I want something that's a powerful reinforcer? My God, there's like a million reasons why we would want a powerful reinforcer, right? Yeah. Like uh, most of the time in ABA, we're actually seeking out those powerful reinforcers because they're the only thing we have in order to teach a child. If you don't have a powerful reinforcer for a child, you can't teach them, period, because they will find other reinforcers, right? But if you, when you have a powerful reinforcer like that, Paw Patrol, and you want to teach your child something difficult, it comes in very useful, very handy. Yeah. So that's one reason for that. The, the reason for age-appropriate is when you're at the po point where you want to increase social skills with other children, peers. And if you're, to work, if you're playing with Paw Patrol, but you're not playing with something that is more age-appropriate, your peers will not be attracted to engaging with you. And that is the only reason. So you can have both. You can have Paw Patrol as the powerful reinforcer, but when it comes to peer interaction, you're going to want to have some things that are more age-appropriate. These things, we have to remember, the age-appropriate things, are not reinforcers for that particular child. They're, they're work. They're work. And that's okay, because once he has engaged with his peers using the appropriate toys, he can have a time on his own playing, watching Paw Patrol. And that's, you know, it's true for a lot of us. I was actually saw an old friend of mine yesterday, and it's funny because sometimes when I see friends who are my age, and we've known each other for a long, long, long time, we ha we're very honest and transparent, and we talk about how, like, social socializing is, doesn't have the same reinforcement yeah. value as it did when we were in our 20s, yeah. right? When you're in your 60s, all you really want to do is just chill and right. not do anything. Right. And so social behavior, which would be the, the peer-appropriate play, the age-appropriate play, yeah. is not a reinforcer for us anymore. In fact, you kind of force yourself to go out it's a it's a job. Oh yeah. And after that, you can have your Paw Patrol, which is laying in bed and watching, <laughs> watching whatever Netflix. it is you want yes. to watch. So you just have to ha you have to have both. They have different reasons, and you figure out which one is appropriate for that time. I I, I always say I want to like write a book that is uh, translating parent to BCBA and BCBA yeah. to parent, um, because I feel like everybody gets so black and white about things. Oh yeah, yeah. This is a really good point, and thanks for saying that because. I have seen a lot of, in fact, I engage with a lot yes. of VCBAs who do this. And they yes. are like, no, 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 we can't let him play with this because it's not age appropriate. They forget that it doesn't matter. It's a reinforcer. Yeah. There, things that are reinforcers don't have to be age appropriate or yeah. in any way appropriate as long as they're reinforcers. That's very yeah. important. And on the parent side, we go and we ask the, the team and say, you know, what kinds of things should I get my child? 
And when they say, oh, yeah, I don't get the Paw Patrol, we think that means no Paw Patrol right. whatsoever. Right. Right. Whereas I, I wish, I'd like to insert myself into the conversation and say, what kinds of skills would you like your child to be working on? Exactly. Here's the, the list of toys that would be good for them that are age appropriate. And we'll work with them, yeah. you yeah. know, to do that. And from the parent side, you know, that they, that they could be saying, hey, you know, I, I know that the Paw Patrol thing isn't very age appropriate, but how could we take that and make it more age appropriate? Like, how could we work towards that? Like, so now there's one Paw Patrol toy that's the Paw Patrol toy, but then we have, uh, uh, you know, a drawing pad where we're going to learn also how true. to draw Paw Patrol. You can take a lot or, of stuff like that. You're right. You're or right. Thomas the Tank Engine that, you know, okay, so they we're going to get one Thomas the Tank toy, but now we're also going to get them a, a train set that's the HO that's a little bit older. Or we're going to get them a book about real trains. Yes. Or we're going to take them to Travel Town where they have real old trains. Okay, so... And you bring up a whole nother point because you pointed out when Nancy was talking about Wyatt and how yeah. some of these things that are reinforcers, I, I, I want to say two other things about things that are powerfully reinforcing. One is that they can become obsessive. Yes. And that's a different issue. That is not the issue we're talking about here. It's a different issue. They don't always have to become obsessive if you can control them but they can become obsessive. Yes. When something becomes obsessive, now it's part of the behavioral program to get you out of that obsession, mm -hmm. which, by the way, also doesn't happen forcefully. It right. happens gradually because when, when we have obsessions, there's a reason for those as well. They're not just, oh, this is part of the autism. No, the reason we have things that are obsessive-compulsive is because we have anxiety, and these things give us a sense of control over our environment. They are familiar. They're, there's something about different things that gives us a sense of control. So obsessions as a whole have to be taken away gradually or reduced gradually. Otherwise, our, our anxiety will shoot through the roof. So that's an important thing to yeah. remember. But the other part of it, Shannon, is like, you know, everything, like a, a lot of parents would ask me, you know, his biggest dream. So like I'll, I'll, I'll start with what are some reinforcers? That's like the most important thing. You cannot do any kind of behavioral intervention. You can't do any kind of intervention unless you know what are the rewards, right? So what are the reinforcers? And parents will have a hard time listing them. Yeah. And I'll be like, well, what about like an iPad or playing on? And they'll say, oh, yeah, he loves the iPad, but... We're not really allowed to give that to him. Uh. That's not the case. That is what's really important to realize. Mm -hmm. You can give any kind of reinforcer as long as it is controlled, so it's not all day long every day, yep. and as long as it's not harmful. Yep. And the reason I say harmful is because as children, there are certain things that are harmful. For instance, sugar. Sugar. As adults, there's a ton of reinforcers that we sometimes give ourselves that are harmful, yeah. such as alcohol. Alcohol is a very harmful reinforcer that a lot of people use, yeah. such as shopping, such as gambling. These are all harmful reinforcers. And we don't want our kids to learn harmful habits. So you start with teaching them you can have any reinforcer as long as it's not harmful and it's not obsessive. It doesn't take up your whole day. Right. And that's it. That is the key to it. And, and you know, so that's any so kind of reinforcer is fine. 
And then, you know, but but to Parker's point, if you've if you've carried it out to the nth degree, which people do, because oh. we, we go, we want to listen and we don't hear all the nuance to it. And so when people do, you know, when there is disappointment because something is not under the tree, how do you deal with that? Yeah, and I mean, disappointment is a different issue. The way I would deal with it is I would make sure there are some things under the tree. I agree. That are pleasant for the child. Yeah. I mean, remember the whole purpose of Christmas or whatever you're celebrating, right, is that you're, it's a day when you are giving your child free reinforcers. Right. I mean, that's what this is about. Right. So I would make sure there are things that are interesting because realistically putting stuff under the tree that the child has no interest in is like for a typically developing child buying them stuff they don't like. Right. So why would you do that? Yeah. You know? No. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, our, cam- our Journey Cameron's New Life comments that uh, their son throws things and screams. That's communication. Yeah. He's telling you something. Yep. Uh, Yasmin says, hello, my son, 12 years old, went upset at school and sometimes home will curse at the teachers or aid. Sometimes he will hit and always apologize right after. They have been trying to teach him what he can say or do when he's upset. He becomes mad when he can't have something or when he has to do something he does not want to do. Once he said to the aide, I'm going to kill you uh, when, he was, when he was mad. Yeah. So they're not doing a terrific job at it i mean it maybe they are i don't know it at might school, take a little bit longer at school yeah but the the concept behind that is that saying the words and apologizing is not a good plan that's just not the intervention that should be apologizing to is not going to be sufficient and think about that again a lot of times i say that about our own uh, typical kids and or I, adults or adults yeah you know if you went around and just yelled at people and then said i'm so sorry <laughs> and just kept doing it people would not that would not be okay yeah i mean there are people that do that that's an abusive relationship absolutely that's the beginning oh yes of an absolutely that's absolutely yeah. right but so what i the point here is that especially when they actually can see it starting to happen they need to have a million different ways for the child to specifically say, I'm getting angry, I'm getting upset, I think I need to go outside and cool down, or I think I need a break from this, or whatever it is, teach him to go in the corner and take a deep breath. I mean, I always say it's good for our kids to have like a bean bag where they can go and put on some music and calm down. Remember, it is harder for our kids to self-regulate, right? It's hard for some of us. I mean, you know, I, I see myself when I was a child, it would take me a while to cool off, whereas I'd see, let's say, another child and they just didn't care. Yeah. So people have different levels of, of ability to downregulate and upregulate. So remember that. It is harder for our kids. They become overstimulated, overwhelmed with things. And so... It's important to catch it before it turns into a cuss word or some sort of yelling or something. And when they recognize that the child's about to get to that point, they teach the child something that he can say or do to remove himself yeah. and then come back. And it's just not okay. when If he does it, apology is definitely not enough. This is a case where if he does actually curse, they should be have some sort of token system where a response costs... Uh, economy is occurring. So he does something, he loses a token, which would have otherwise gotten him closer to a reinforcer. 
Absolutely. What I loved when my son went to junior high, um, his guidance counselor gave him a card. And it was like a get out of jail free card. Yeah. He was like, you and and his, all of his teachers were told if he ever and he, he said we're gonna find a place in your backpack where it lives, so you know where it is. And if he ever raises this card or says or refers to the card, no questions asked, he gets to come to my office. Yeah, like immediately. And uh, my son only used it once in the two years that he was in junior high, but it yeah. was like really freaking helpful. Yeah. yeah, because he had reached a point where and and you know. Before that, you guys had taught him how to recognize when he needed to ask for right. something, but that that spoke the language of his school, right? You know, because he could have said, "I need a break," and you know, there's a math teacher who would be like, "No, it's not yeah. time for a break, no, right?" Can't have a break, um, exactly. <clears throat> but because that was from the guidance counselor, everybody knew, "No, no, no, that we don't mess with that." I love that Megan wrote in and said, "Their tantrum is mm. not our fault." Amen our to failure, that. Our, yeah. our, our failure, yeah, yeah, uh, and it's also not theirs. I mean, and that's exactly. another thing. It's not theirs either. I mean, people, are, there's no question, even today, like with as much knowledge of autism as there is, people still will judge you when your child screams or cries in a public place. Who cares? Like yeah. to me, it's like I don't, you, I don't care. I don't care. Sorry, too bad. You know, like this is I'm dealing with something here. It's not their failure. It's not your failure. It's their way of communicating, which unfortunately is not socially appropriate. And that actually is one of those really interesting key parts of why when individuals on the spectrum say we don't need to be changed. I disagree because it's not just an individual on the spectrum. It's anyone who exhibits a tantrum in the, in social life is going to need to change. Yeah. Because tantruming or having challenging behaviors amongst others is disruptive to others. And no matter what our diagnosis or no diagnosis, we all learn to become more acclimated to that and become more of a social being. And so, you know, that's the same thing. It's nobody's failure. It's just that they're taking a little bit longer to learn that this isn't okay. And we all have the right to learn. Uh, I'm glad you wrote this question back in because I actually have it on this piece of paper. They wrote it in and said, good morning. My 11-year-old son is extremely bright, has friends, hobbies, and participates in sports. Our problem is when we are in the car and we get stuck in traffic, Mm -hmm. he has a meltdown of crying, yelling, hyperventilating, and internalizing the situation. He'll say, what did I do to deserve this? It looks like a panic attack. We have tried a car bag with books, fidgets, iPad, but he won't touch it. He will ask over and over to find out how long the wait will be, but sometimes we don't have a cell service. It's like he needs information, but even if we know, um, even if we know, he still doesn't settle down. What can we do? Traffic is a part of life, and thank you. So I don't know why my first instinct is to tell you, are you sure that he needs the information? Or do you think it is possible that he is enjoying the attention that you give him when he is panicking? So question that. Ask yourself that. Because a lot of times our kids begin to interact in a way where now they're getting a lot of parents giving them a way to calm down. It's okay, honey. It's all right. We'll be all right. It's totally fine. Don't worry. It'll be this. It'll be that. It's a lot of interaction from you. 
And perhaps that's what's maintaining this behavior. So my first question, and this can be a little tough, but my first question is, have you, what happens if you don't interact at all and you just play some music, give him the opportunity to put on some headphones or whatever? If he chooses to, he can. If he chooses not to, it's up to him. But basically carry on a conversation with someone else in the car when you hit traffic and see what happens and see if he is able to get control of that anxiety some other way than leaning into you having to calm him because you've given him a lot of other options, but he continues to maintain this one. Try that. And by the way, if it, you know it's working if it gets worse before it gets better. That's called an extinction burst. Mm -hmm. Whenever something gains attention, whenever the function of something is attention, whenever a child does something in order to gain attention and we stop the attention, that behavior will get worse. It's called an extinction burst. It'll get worse and then it'll rapidly dissolve and go away. And the reason it gets worse is because from the child's perspective, they're thinking, why isn't anybody telling me how much time is left? Why isn't anybody interacting with me? Why isn't anybody giving me more attention right now? And then they'll be like, okay, so I'm going to like act up a little bit more to get that attention. And, it, and once they do and you still don't give the attention, they're like, I better figure something else out here because I need to kind of engage myself some other way. So that is one possibility is that he's doing it for the attention. The other thing is... You know, I mean, you've done everything, honestly. You've given him a way of knowing perhaps he's 11 years old, so perhaps you want to actually show him a map, give him maps on the phone and let him see when it turns orange so there's some predictability so he knows we're going to be sitting in traffic for a little bit and, hey, isn't this cool? We can do all these other things while traffic is happening. You've given him a lot of good things here. I like that you've given him, like, books, fidget stuff, iPads. But, you know, if he chooses not to approach that and he chooses to just engage with you, then that tells me it's the attention that he's looking for a little bit. Yeah, he sounds like a kid who might like a GPS watch for Christmas. That Um, Honestly, or just like actually teaching him how to understand what's on the Maps app, you know, because that helps you. And he can actually look at it himself and see that there's 20 minutes left. In fact, if you use maps or ways, they both tell you how much time in traffic. Yeah. So, And I got to say, too, there's a, a set of uh, headphones in the, the toy guide that are called Leap Pod Max. It's from Leapfrog. I love these headphones because you can use them with a Bluetooth so they can play their own music. And they, they're kind of, you know, they look like Leapfrog in that they're white and they have green details yeah. on them. They're kind of cool looking. Um, so you could use them for older kids, but so you can listen to anything that you want up. But it also comes pre-programmed with a bunch of meditation things Ooh, about I love breathing. That. I love that. And, oh my gosh. and here's the thing that I love the most about them. They are all pre- factory preset, so you can't turn the volume up so hard that you could hurt your ear, wow. which a lot of our kids, that's a concern, right? So I think that's a great thing to have on board in the car before the traffic, Absolutely. right? Instead of waiting for the traffic that we're going to get in the car and we're going to be as, in as calm of a state as possible. Absolutely. But honestly, Shannon, I think some of our kids, like, you know, a lot of kids, they're into geography, they're into maps, they're into uh, things like traffic. So I don't know that in his case, it's enough to 
avoid it. I think, yeah. in fact, like just I teach agree. him how to, if he wants to know how much more time, teach him how to figure that out. Yeah. You yeah. know, and just you stop talking about it and you stop trying to calm him down. I love that. But I do, by the way, thanks for talking about all these toys because every toy you're telling about, I'm like, it's I want a copy. I want stuff. that for my kid and I, and Saudi. I know, I know. They're, they're yeah. no, that's, everybody check out the toy guide. I, we picked them because they're really good. We haven't I had a chance this year because you've been away that's right. for you to play with the toys. I'll give you a tour of the toys. There's some good stuff. Um, okay, uh, how to control no reason laughing, please guide. Yeah, so you should join us when we do a segment or if we have our dear friend Julie Matthews or some other nutritionist mm-hmm. on the on the show with us because no reason laughing from a behavioral perspective is is one of those tactics where our kids kind of delay things. They just want to delay, but more often my experience has been that it is yeast related and it has I've seen that, believe me, a lot. And I've seen a lot of kids just, they look drunk. They look like they're yeah. walking around drunk and they're just giggling. They and, will smell like brandy sometimes in their, in their yeah. mouth or their heads or their feet will smell like fresh break, baked bread. You can right. smell the yeast. Well, you, so I would definitely do a rule out of yeast issues, so which essentially means that you'd want to see a functional medicine physician or a nutritionist or a dietitian. And they can help you, first of all, test for and see if there's excessive yeast. That's a stool test that you can do. And, um, and once you know that, then treat the yeast because yeast candidiasis in general does tend to be a big issue with a lot of our kids, fungal infections. So that would be very important to do. And if it's not that, the other thing that I sometimes see is our kids remember something that they've seen on a TV show or whatever. And with our with typically developing kids, they also do, but they, the difference is they will say, ah, I just remembered, blah, 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 and they'll give an introduction to what it is they're thinking. And our kids don't give that introduction. So the first thing is if it's like random times and it doesn't appear to be necessarily connected to something they've seen before, then I would really go for treating the yeast, figuring out if it is yeast. But if it does appear that, oh, this ch- your child often laughs also when they see a particular segment and they repeat that segment, then it just could be that they're remembering something funny and they just don't know how to say it or introduce that. Yeah, uh, so true. I want to get to some of these last comments. Renee and Elvira said, last month I moved to a new city seeking more resources and better school. We started seeing a MAPS doctor. Good for you. And I'm so thankful for everything, but I'm so overwhelmed. How do moms do this? Sending Uh, you a hug and telling you that, you know, we all have had moments where we thought we couldn't do it. For me personally, I tried to give myself short-term reinforcers and long-term reinforcers. I've said many times before on the show that on my darkest days, I would always picture my son standing in front of me in a cap and gown and that I would be able to say to him, we did everything that we could. The world is yours now. And I got to do that two years ago. I stood with him at graduation and did that. Now I have different pictures in my head that helped me to get through things. But that wasn't enough. I had to have short-term reinforcers and I would try to check in. I had like a yearly thing that we would do and I would think, oh my gosh, you know, we're so much better than we were a year ago. Because it's hard and you have to have 
you know, friends and people around you yeah. and, and yeah. people to fill your bucket to, to inspire you more. But yeah. it's hard. It's, You've it's, seen it it's much very, more very, very hard. And I want to say just, you know, for a moment for parents who's, who don't get to enjoy the long-term reinforcer yes, whose child doesn't get too. to graduation, I want you to remember that to begin with, you're a different category than the parent of the typical child. And that's important because you're not, so, you know, I think of all, all parents of, of kids, it's a hard thing anyway, but some, some of us are sitting in the village and we're dealing with, you know, making the village a more livable place. And some of us are on the front lines and you're you're the warriors. You're the people who are were given this task. And don't don't mistake your job is never going to be as easy as the job of a neurotypical child's parent. It's just not. It's a different job. And it's a harder job. There's no question, at least for now, when they're a child. You never know with neurotypical kids. I mean, you know, a lot of parents of neurotypical kids deal with very, very significant issues when their child is a teenager or who knows when an illness might attack or whatever it is. We all have those things. But your job, at least in the beginning, is a tougher job. You are the warrior. That's You have been given that task, and you can do this. You are going to get through this. There are other parents like you who have. You don't have to be perfect at it. You do the best you can, and it just is part of the job. You know what I mean? A lot of times I think as parents we get tired and we just want to throw the towel in. Yeah. And you can throw the towel in for a day or two. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is... And you can get help and so on. But I, I think parents, and I always say this because parents are the reason I stay in this field for so right. many years. You are warriors. You're warriors. That's who you are. And the sooner you recognize that, the better, because you're going to continue to be a warrior, even if your child recovers. Yeah. You're a warrior like Shannon, who will now influence other people's lives in one way or another. So put on the warrior hat, and it'll remind you that you can do it. Yes. I always like the equation strength over time equals power. There you go. So you don't have to get it perfect today. You don't have to do everything today. You just have to exhibit strength over time. Yep. There we go. We're out of time, but I just want to say, Johanna, you wrote a great question about how do we teach different reinforcers. I'm going to put that at the top of the list for next week. And Felix asked, how can we get a consultation with you, Dr. Doreen, for our son? You can write directly to me, Shannon, at autism-live.com, and I will forward that to her assistant, Shannon, at autism-live.com, and I'll afford it. Dark Angel wrote a question about pronunciation that I think is important, and we'll put that at the top of the, of the list for next Definitely. week as well. You guys, you're amazing. You're doing uh, amazing work with your kiddos, and I so appreciate being. It's a privilege to be here with you and with all of them. Thank you. It's uh, wonderful being you're here. And maybe next time, Shannon, on on the show next week, which is right, I think, right before it's Christmas, the last show of the year. Maybe we can do something on uh, tips to manage the holidays. Oh, let's do that. Let's yeah. pick that for the topic next week. Okay, because it's it's a coming, and I don't know. Everybody gets so excited. 
And I think the reality of it is, oh, we have less services. Oh, my life is more complicated. Oh, yeah. Right? There's a lot of sugar and noise. Oh, <laughs> and, and other people's opinions, which are never helpful. Right. Uh, almost never helpful. All right. So we'll take all of that on next week. It will be the last Ask, Ask Dr. Doreen of the year next week. Right. So make sure that you guys tune in for that. I want to just tell you that tomorrow on the show, we've got some exciting guests for you. And don't forget that on Thursday, we have Let's Talk All the Things with Rachel Bird. And you're not going to want to miss that because we have a, a craft planned. To, and she's so good at craft. And I'm, awesome. I'm an epic fail. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, so, so exciting. So don't miss that. And don't forget to register for your tickets for Sensitive Santa if you're in the Los Angeles area. All right. We'll see you guys t- tomorrow. And until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And one for you, too. I don't know why I was, like, waiting for you to say that. But you never say that. I say that. I'd love to say that. Never mind. One for you, too. (laughs) We'll see you tomorrow. Take care, everyone. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.